Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. This is a Zoop Spotlight. We're here to talk about a really interesting book. I have a lot of questions. Uh, one of the writers is joining me, Wells Thompson. The book is Depths, and it's uh, currently on Zoop right now. $15,000 goal. We're about a third of the way there with a little over 4400 Uh So, Wells, thanks for taking the time to join me. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jace. Appreciate it. Yeah, like I said, really interesting book. I have a lot of questions, but why don't we start off by uh, kind of giving the elevator pitch to all the listeners, let them know what the uh, what the book is about. Absolutely. So Depths is a graphic novel about a 1930s engineer that designs a perpetual diving suit uh, that gets him trapped underwater for three years. And now he has to battle sea monsters, in the environment and his own inner demons to escape. Uh, yeah, it's a story about grief. It's a story about survival. It's a story about uh, giant octopi. Or giant squid and such. <laughs> so what was so interesting to me, and everybody, you can go and check out the Zoop page. Again, there's a link in the show notes uh, so you can see that. There's a preview of the first five pages. And we see these first three pages with Emil. He's under the water, very moody, very dark, mm-hmm. very interesting. Uh, you know, you, you, the image on the book as well, the cover uh, is fascinating to me as well. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in, in a second. But what's so interesting is, you know, Emil is kind of narrating. He's given some thoughts about, you know, his early life, family, you know, growing up in this this sort of pond that his father had built in the backyard. So right away, there's this there. I feel like there's a connection with Emil. And it, it feels like even though it's sort of a fantastical setting, being trapped underwater for three years uh, with no human contact or, and, you know, probably that feeling of isolation, you're out mm-hmm. of your element. Right. None of us can can survive underwater. We're not fish. Uh, but this feeling of isolation and he's thinking back to, to relationships. So uh, that's such an interesting juxtaposition. It makes it relatable. It pulls you in mm-hmm. right away. So can you talk a little bit about the, des- you know, the design, the structure of the story, why we start there as opposed to, you know, maybe starting in his childhood or, or, you know, because after those first three pages, we see a preview of two pages where we flash back before this accident, before him getting trapped. So can you give us some idea of why you structured it that way and, and kind of your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, well, obviously we wanted to start off with a really good idea of what the the story is going to be, him trapped underwater. So uh, we, you know, uh, we, we do show a bit of his past here and there, but we usually keep it to sort of uh, the preamble to the chapter. We don't uh, cut back there uh, constantly, though we are... He is constantly talking about uh, his history, and and we we're con- we're given more and more context of as to who he is and why he's doing this. Uh, but yeah, it's the the idea of the story is that it's it's sort of a uh, the Martian esque uh, survival story. Um, you know, it's the the sort of through line is 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 Emil going to make it out at least for this first book and. Um, yeah, we, we we wanted to make sure that the focus was was on that while at the same time setting up uh, further context for why he's down there, which is, you know, his father, his friends. Um, it's it's not a, a mistake, I would say, that like that isolation and, and that sort of physical, you know, being trapped underwater with all that pressure on you um, where it's physically difficult to move and then tying it directly to a troubled childhood, feelings of guilt, feelings of grief, feelings of, of uncertainty and, and um, ambiguity about your relationship with your father. That's all very much connected. 
So it's, we wanted to right off the bat say that we're telling two stories at the same time. We're telling the story of survival and the story of, you know, an internal turmoil and, and ultimately survival. Yeah. And again, there's so, so there's so much there. Uh, and again, relatable, and maybe some people will relate more, you know, for me, things that have happened in my past, it feels extremely relatable. You talk about the pressure of being underwater. Mm-hmm. We're getting Emil's past, you know, we're going to flash back a little bit, like you said, but so much of it is through his own words, right? He's telling us what his, his past was yeah. He's telling us about past events. But every time someone does that, if I'm telling you about things that have happened in my past, you're telling me what, what have you, that's from our perspective, right? And yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. The things that we bring to it, like if we're, we're feeling guilty about a certain situation or, you know, it, it, whereas somebody else, our, our family, friends, whatever, we look at it and like, what, why are you being so hard on yourself? That wasn't, that's not actually, you know, if you look at it objectively, it's not actually how you should feel or, you know, ha- you know, how you should take it or what have you. So, oh, absolutely. so, yeah. So interesting that he ends up in this place where there, there is external pressure on him because my, my sense is he was putting a lot of pressure on himself, you know, before this accident happened that maybe wasn't all deserved, if that's the right word. No, I think that's that's an accurate assessment, uh, you know, without without getting too much into it. Uh, Emil lost his father, someone who, who was both really close to him and also sort of a mysterious figure in his life. He never quite cracked his dad and and you know, what that relationship was and, and the, the sort of myth of the man never really evolved past that, uh, to being, you know, just a real person. So he still has a lot of really raw feelings about his relationship with his dad that never got, uh, fully, you know, he never got closure on, uh, and yeah, a big part of the narrative is just us, you know, hearing about how, uh, Emil is ultimately trying to find, you know, closure and and uh, uh, sort of make sense of this difficult part of his life, all while fighting for actual survival. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard people say that, like, uh, they, they believe that I uh, wrote this, like, during the pandemic as a direct response to it, uh, which is not true. We actually wrote it years before the pandemic. It just happens to, like, sort of be that universal of a feeling that we that we accidentally stumbled into, like, uh, being isolated like this uh, turned out to be something that we would all experience intimately. But, uh, but yeah, that's that, that was sort of the overall um, aim, was to, to explore those feelings and to get... Uh, get get a really intense perspective on this one person and this one relationship. And all the while we add more and more context and we start to learn that, like you said, maybe he's being a little hard on himself. Maybe he doesn't deserve all the, uh, the pressure that he's putting on himself, but he still lives with it. And that's something that's a reality of his day-to-day life. Yeah. Plus like we were saying, it it is, you know, underwater, it is this foreign environment. Obviously there, you you mentioned, you know, octopi and squid, the cover's mm-hmm. got sharks. There's danger looking at every corner. And I mean, exactly. the fact that he's having to survive where there's tons of pressure and there's tons of cold and, you know, how does he get nourishment and that sort of thing? And I'm sure you're, the story will answer those questions. But then you've put him in a place where danger lurking at every corner. And I imagine it, it makes for fertile ground to to have Emil think back on dangers of his life as he's overcoming these uh, obstacles. So was that something that factored into the underwater as well? It's sort of the unknown. You can give him different challenges to face. Uh, yeah, it was all sort of a beautiful mismatch of reasons and, and accidental, you know, oh, this works out really well. Um, 
you know, part of it was the very on the nose, like he's suffering from from depression. What does that feel like? That feels like drowning. What if we just stick him in a suit and he's li- he's living it out? Um, but yeah, obviously being alone, not having anyone to talk to, that gives him a lot of time to ruminate, to to think back on his past. And so they're they're connected literally in, in ways that we find out later, but also metaphorically in ways that he sort of explains as he's doing all of this. There's also a champagne glass. He's, he's, he's in his diving suit in a champagne glass, yeah. whatever, which is an incredible image. Uh, brings to mind, you know, well, you know, was he coping in a different way before this accident? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, we learn really quickly that he does also, not have a good one other thing I, Yeah. One other thing I wanted to, to ask about, though, is, is that juxtaposition of champagne is so often um, sort of associated with celebration. Mm-hmm. Was that something at all also as you're you know, having to deal with these things in different ways. Uh, we'll, we'll go with yes. Uh, we intended that 100%. Um, the, the champagne flute was uh, was uh, Jay's idea, the the artist, and he uh, pulled this cover together and it looks incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I do like that because a lot of a lot of the time we'll see in Emil's life when he's trying to celebrate, he he feels guilty about it. He feels like he doesn't deserve it. So it is sort of a, you know, trapping of of this thing. But it's also his relationship with alcohol is not the healthiest. And uh, and and uh, furthermore, just a like how much of this isolation is, is in his own mind and not really his, is, is making something bigger out of out of what's actually there. Uh, it all feeds really well into the themes of the book. And so, yeah, which is why it's our main cover. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's definitely one that, that the more layers you peel back, the more you appreciate it. Yeah. And it pulls you in. I mean, it's like, wait, why is he in a diving suit? Why is he in a champagne suit? Why are there sharks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's an incredible cover. The other thing that I, I noticed right away, um, and, and, you know, when you look at the suit, you kind of get this feeling of, you know, something older we're flashing back to, to previous mm-hmm. periods of time, kind of similar to your uh, Frankenstein story, which then goes far to the future, which, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but this idea that a lot of the stories you've told are not necessarily uh, set in modern day. Is that just a sensibility that you have that you like to kind of go back to? I don't, I don't want to say simpler times, but for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, maybe when people... We, we, you know, right now you and I are on Zoom. We're talking. We can, you can kind of connect. Yes, we're all isolated in the pandemic, but maybe less isolated than we had been if it had happened in the 1930s, like like this, because yeah. we have the ability to to connect worldwide now digitally. Um, so, w- what were your thoughts behind setting it during the 1930s? Uh, why do you think you kind of go back to uh, past times to uh, to tell your stories? I mean, I don't think I go to the past as a rule to tell stories. And and if there's anything I've learned about myself, it's that I could probably do with some stricter discipline when it comes to like stick to one genre, stick to one thing that you do, because uh, the <laughs> I, I tend to just go all over the place. Um, in this story, it, it felt like there was something of a nostalgic element to it, or at the very least, just the aesthetics of... The Great Depression, you know, after that big, you know, boom of the Roaring Twenties, how everything kind of crashed down. It just felt right for the era that we were in, or for the for the uh, sort of where the story was. Um, and I've always, you know, uh, I've I love uh, lost generation writers like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway, and uh, 
and that sort of played a role in it. Um, but I don't know. It was, it was one of those formative things. We knew pretty much right away what the suit looked like. We knew it was going to be set underwater. We knew it was set during the Great Depression. We didn't quite understand why we knew those things, but it that that was just the starting point, and uh, it it worked out. It uh, fed really neatly into itself. Yeah, felt felt right for the story. Yeah, I mean, certainly get that uh, impression, especially you know as you're talking about celebration and uh you know his, his guilt over that it just seems like that time period so perfectly suited uh, especially you know when we talk about terms of isolation and, and also in terms of kind of mental and emotional health mm-hmm. for men back there you know i know a lot oh of, yeah um, that that whole idea of toxic masculinity again going back to your frankenstein story um a little easier to kind of be vulnerable as a man these days i would say than it was back then would you agree uh, definitely. I would say it's, it, it's easier and harder, um, because there's so much more of a performance aspect to everyday life nowadays. Right. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of it is out in the open. And if you're willing to be, you know, to ha- to be, to act in a sincere way and to engage with the world sincerely, then it is easier on the whole to, uh, to find, you know, positive communities and uh, not necessarily fall into that sort of uh, toxic masculine, you know, I'm going to hold all my feelings right here and then one day I'll die. Um, (laughs) And, but so, yeah, and and definitely back then you have more of a wall being put up, which is again, part of the reason why the main character Emil has, has such a hard time relating to his father because that, that wasn't a thing his father was doing. He wasn't really, talking about his feelings or, or explaining to him, you know, what it means to, to, to be a man in a wholesome way. Um, it also, uh, makes the, the main relationship, the main friendship, uh, between Emil and James, the other kind of the deuteragonist, if you will, um, it makes their relationship a lot more significant because they do have the ability to kind of, you know, cut through the crap and talk to each other on a real level, uh, which, you know, e- even though their relationship isn't necessarily the healthiest, just like, you know, if you've known someone since you were, you know, 10 or 11 or 12 and you've lived through your teenage years together, you know, maybe you don't always have the best habits to, when you're when you're hanging out together. But at the very least, it's it's a really sincere relationship and what and, you know, the kind where they can say they love each other sincerely and, and not have to clarify anything. Um, yeah. When you go through those formative years together, it does kind of form a bond. Absolutely. So uh, labeled book one, you mentioned book one plans yes. for, for more. Uh, is it yes. you know, so spoiled uh, too much, but it's, the brother, it, relationship with the brother is going to be explored at all at some point. Um, they, uh, so they, they aren't James and Emil aren't brothers, but they are uh, good friends. And they, uh, we, we learn more about that relationship as the story goes. Uh, book one is the first 112 pages. Book two is the second 112 pages. Um, and yeah, with, with it, there is a, there is a turn at the end of this first book. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's, it's, it still is a satisfying book on its own. Um, we have a nice little arc with the the characters and then, uh, book two, uh, wraps it all up and gives us uh, a really satisfying ending. Um, that that said, you know that, uh, yeah, I think that uh, book one is is 
not the not the whole story but still a very satisfying like sing- standalone um there's definitely a lot more to tell but and and if we could have just come up and said you know here's a 224 page book uh you know then uh, then we would have unfortunately the realities of crowdfunding we weren't able to to uh put it all out at the same time yeah, it makes sense. I, I was just the reason I asked about the brothers because yeah, it, it's clear in the preview. James is his, uh, his best friend, but the James other thing does about- James does have a brother. His brother is like that's sort of the. I think James or I think uh, Emil feels really estranged from his family in a lot of ways, and so James is very is more the brother that he chose than the brother that he has. Um. But also there's there's sort of a sad part of that. He had family that he could have talked about this to and, and he chose to kind of shovel and shuttle himself off from that. So we learn a little bit more about uh, about his family, about Robert and his mom and, and yeah, uh, and his sister um, and get there in book two. We get their perspective on Emil a, a little bit more uh, and and learn a little bit about, you know, how they feel about everything. Um, but yeah, that'll be that'll be something that we have to explore later yeah again interesting because that was going to kind of be my my question is you know we talked about a lot of times when you're close to something that that happens you blame yourself or what have you Mm -hmm. and then you don't even feel comfortable around your family a little bit of survivor's guilt maybe but from their perspective that's not the case at all uh and i find yeah that's something that i think relatable to uh to a lot of people so uh, well, we mentioned your uh, Frankenstein the Unconquered, which was a, a mm-hmm. crowdfunding campaign you did on a Kickstarter for uh, books one through four. It's an incredible series. Um, you won't, we won't get into it here, uh, but Google <laughs> it's it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, Google it. And it is one of the uh, reward. You can't get all four issues here uh, mm-hmm. in, during this campaign. So can you talk a little bit about what rewards are uh, available, both in terms of the depth and then uh, previous work that you have done? Absolutely. Yeah, we have uh, three different covers and three different editions of the uh, of uh, depths. Uh, the first two are paperbacks. They have uh, the interior artist Jay Sheik's cover uh, with that we talked about earlier with the sharks, the champagne glass. Uh, Serge Acuna has a cover. He that is sort of a throwback to uh, a short story that he did with us that featured these characters uh, in a book called Descent into Dread. That was our first published book. Um, it's it's crazy it has a giant squid on it it's it's absolutely uh phenomenal uh and then uh we have a hardcover edition of this as well with a cover by uh heather vaughn who is the cover artist that uh works on with us on uh frankenstein the unconquered so we wanted a little bit of crossover there um the other thing, uh, the other, there's a ton of add-ons and everything, uh, and I'll go over a couple of those. The other big thing that we're doing that we haven't been able to do uh, before, that we've never done in any other campaign, is uh, you can be drawn into the book. We have uh, background characters, background characters that have a that have a line of dialogue, and a couple of minor characters that you can uh, get yourself drawn into the book as uh, if that is something that excites you. Uh, We wanted to get people as involved as possible uh, and allow them to be as much part of the book as they can. And this is the most direct way to do so. Uh, We also have a couple of prints. We have um, 
and uh, a sticker and an enamel pin of uh, drawn by uh, Fernando Pinto, that is and the adorable mascot of uh, of Depp's Douglas the Octopus. Um, our friend Tina Sola did a really gorgeous uh, print for the uh, book. Uh, you can also get a bunch of our other books, uh, both in digital and physical form, Mechaton, Frankenstein, the Unconquered, Descent into Dread, By Visibility, and From the Static, as well as, yeah, uh, as well as things like signatures and, and, uh, and uh, a tip jar. So there's, there's just about everything that you could uh, want in there, no matter how you want to support, whether it's just picking up a uh, single issue or a uh, a digital copy of the book or even a digital version of the first chapter of the book. If you don't want to fully commit to it, that is available for you as well. So, yeah. And then you've got uh, commissions by Jay as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Super talented. Great uh, value for that. Uh, was, is he someone you have worked with before? Uh, how did he get involved in the project? Yeah, we, um, he did a variant cover for us on uh, Mechaton number three. And uh, I, I, really liked it. I thought it was, uh, super creative and, and well, uh, formulated. Uh, and we talked uh, a little bit about, you know, the kinds of projects that he wanted to do. Uh, and after really looking over his, his catalog, I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe Deaths is the one. And, and, uh, you know, we knew we wanted it to have a little bit of a heavier, you know, more serious style to it. Um, and, Jay is really good at that kind of heavy noir sort of like realistic grounded style um, that wound up working really, really be uh, beautifully with the uh, subject matter. And, and once we told him about the project, he realized that, you know, this was something we really cared about. This was our kind of ride or die uh, project for us. So he 100% was on board uh, just from that. Yeah, interesting that you use the word noir to describe this because it is dark. It does deal with a lot of feelings. A lot of times when people think or hear the word noir, they think crime noir, you know, private mm -hmm. detective, femme fatale, that, that sort of thing. But yeah, it goes so much more into into the kind of emotion and, and what you're exploring. And being that it's underwater and it is dealing with some heavy topics, I feel like getting the right colorist to not go too dark, too muddy. Absolutely. Uh, capture that balance. So uh Rajesh Kumar is the the colorist. Mm -hmm. uh, again, somebody you worked with before? No, uh, actually. Somebody... So that was um, Jay had worked with him before. Uh, we we hired him on his suggestion, and uh, Rajesh has a really good rapport with uh, Jay, and was able to really pick up on kind of what we were going for with uh, the overall theme, the 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 kind of intonation we wanted. Um, he makes those underwater scenes feel so claustrophobic <laughs> and, and just really nails kind of the, the overall feel that we wanted to, uh, bring to this book. So I, I can't brag on him and, and that, uh, the creative team in, as a whole enough. Um, yeah, no, they, they all bring their A game for sure. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, I hope this has uh, listeners. I hope this has you all excited to go and check it out. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity, as I always do, when we talk about crowdfund, to talk about how you can help out the team uh, other than joining the campaign. Right? Like maybe this sounds like awesome, and you you really wish you could uh, back it and become part of this community and and uh, you know have a chance to check it out, but you just don't have the means right now. I know times are tight for people. The other way you can uh, really help out is by sharing it 
let your local comic shop know there's retailer bundles if they mm-hmm. want to carry it in the shop. Just put it out on social media, tell your friends about it. Let's make sure everybody who wants to be a part of the campaign gets a chance to see it, check it out. You know, at least go to the Zoop page and look it over and see if it's something you want to uh, to be a part of. Uh, which brings me to my uh, last question, Wells. Uh, you know, we talked about you doing successful uh, crowdfunding before on Kickstarter. Uh, you chose to do this one with Zoop. What was behind that thinking and how's the experience been? Uh, well, we had tried this uh, particular book on Kickstarter before. Um, we got to about 75% of our goal, which was 20,000 on Kickstarter. Uh, so we hit about 15K. It didn't quite uh, tip the scale over. Uh, that was unfortunate. And we knew it was, we knew that this book was going to be a long shot. It was our largest uh is our largest goal that we had ever done. It was our biggest book that we had ever uh, sort of put out there. Um, but still, we we knew we had raised quite a bit. We knew we, that, that was definitely something to be proud of. Um, and uh, Zoop approached us and said, hey, we, we really like this book. How do you, would you consider doing it on Zoop? Uh, and we talked it over. We talked about some of the benefits of doing Zoop uh, versus relaunching on Kickstarter. And we decided to give it a shot. I always really liked Zoop and what they've done. And I've, I, I like a lot of the books that they put out. Um, I probably by sheer volume, I, I uh, back more Kickstarters just because more people go there, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always looking for interesting Zoop projects right now. Uh, there's one uh, let her be evil that yeah. is fantastic and i i cannot wait to to get my copy of that um but yeah yeah it's i i really love the idea of a dedicated place that that comics people can go to uh to make their work you know uh or show their work to an audience that is there for them um and and yeah it's i i think it's a good community and i i really enjoy the sort of friendly competition and, and between that and Kickstarter uh, and ability to, again, just like flex that this is a community for comics. And that's, that's what we're geared toward. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, let her be evil. I, the last Zoop spotlight I did just a few days ago, I, I got a chance to talk to Cass Jones and yeah. It's a, oh yeah. Cass it's is great. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, the other thing about Zoop, uh, are you looking forward to not having to pack and ship all these things and do the, Oh no, I, I am volunteered to pack and ship. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> I like, I like being able to see who's who the repeat backers are and take a day off of work and just like, that's, that's a whole, you know, uh, day or, or, you know, in some campaigns week of, of just sending stuff out and, and, uh, sending thank you notes and, uh, you know, boots on the ground type stuff. Um, that said, they're handling a lot of the, uh, the promotion for me. So I do feel a weight off my shoulders there. I'm still obviously doing a lot, uh, for myself, doing a lot of social media, but, um, yeah, not not having to have the whole load is it have it does feel more like a partnership, which is nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, it's been fantastic chatting with you, Wells. Uh, best of luck on that campaign, everybody. It's about a third of the way, so just a reminder: um, go check it out, back it, spread the word. Let's make sure we can uh, bring this to life because definitely uh, feels like a book that needs to be out there. I think a lot of people uh, it will be relatable for them. Um, and then you mentioned social media. Wells, where's the best place if people want to follow you online, uh, ask questions, that sort of thing? Uh, I used to say Twitter, but Twitter is kind of, uh, you know, imploding. Um, and I, I'm doing myself a favor and, and physically not 
like forcing myself not to be on it as much. I will go on once or twice a day to post, maybe like a couple things, and then that's it. Um, so really, the best place to keep up with me is Substack. Uh, you can just search my name, Wells Thompson. I run a newsletter called uh, Comics, Cats, and Cocktails, where we talk about all those things. Uh, and I have the one main like post that I do once a month. That's all of, you know, all of the whole newsletter, everything that we're working on and, and what we're reading and uh, a couple recipes and, and cat photos. Uh, and then you get kind of intermediate updates from me through there as well. Um, other than that, I have a Ko-Fi. If uh, that's your thing, if you want to send me a coffee, we'd be happy to have, uh, be happy to buy a coffee. Um, and for all other inquiries, you can go to my website, uh, wellsthompson.com. Great. I'll put links to the uh, social media in the show notes, everybody's Substack and uh, website and what have you. So if you're having trouble, and if, you, Wells. And if you do have, I'm still on Twitter and, and Blue Sky. So at Wells Thomp, T-H-O-M-P, uh, if you if you want to do that. But um, know that that might be a little bit slower going. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so links in the show notes, everybody. Uh, if you want to, if you have a question or want to reach out uh, or just follow Wells' work. Uh, so again, Thanks so much for joining me, Wells. It's been uh, fantastic to chat with you. Uh, and to all you listeners, we'll say uh, thanks for the support as always. We appreciate you joining us and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.